When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ah yes, the magnificent Trolley Sourbright Crawler, also known as Trollicus brightolus. The worm's captivating neon colour makes it an easy gummy prey. Trolley! It's a surprisingly sour, invitingly chewy, staggeringly snackable species unlike anything else found on this planet. Eat me! Delicious. Visit trolley.com to shop now. Trolley, eat me! This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 208. This week, I'm catching up with Olive's new columnist and Indian cooking expert, Monica Gawarden. We found out all about her long journey to her present career in food writing, and she shares some of the brilliant tips and tricks she's learned along the way, including why cooking onions properly is so important how to balance dishes with different sourin agents and how to get a rich, creamy curry without adding extra fat. What I thought I'd do, because you, because people might not know you, um, if you could just kind of, just give us a bit of background about, you know, how you, how you got into food, maybe like, you know, your, your family background, who, who taught you how to cook, you know, how you yeah. sort of started on your journey, basically. <clears throat> Um, Janine, I'm, I was born and brought up in Bombay, or as people call Mumbai. And uh, um, we were from a very simple middle class family. It was not such a big sort of hoopla of, you know, um, having the ostentatious dinners and all of that. Um, and I think everything for us was based on seasons. And it was also based on um, budgets. So I suppose the things that people actually harp on about now in the West yeah. was probably something we did back then, primarily out of um, just circumstances. Uh, mm. There was no supermarket. So my mother and I would go to the uh, fish market, the vegetable market every week. <clears throat> and based on how much money she had for the weekly budget, she would buy something or haggle for it or, you know, fresh fish. And obviously, Mumbai is on the west coast of India. So right. everything was extremely fresh. So even on a Sunday, sometimes if the fisherwoman would come to our house, to the apartment, she would bring pomfret. Or if we were, if my mother was trying to be indulgent, then maybe some prawns or fresh yes. live loose former crabs, which were not very expensive. Um, and I think the philosophy that my mother always had was... Um, you know, we happily eat a dal and rice on a weekday. Yeah. But as long as we can eat a chicken curry or a mutton curry or a fish curry on a weekend, uh, yeah. we'll be happy. I think my mother's influences essentially came from my grandmother, who um, right. 
I mean, my mom's family have been one of the most affluent families in in, in the city of Bombay. So they threw the most ostentatious parties, unlike obviously my family. So they they had, you know, lots of people, including film stars and, you know, horse wow. owners and everyone um, in the 1960s and the 1950s. And, um, you know, I remember my mother actually telling me that my grandmother and my grandfather once went to this restaurant in India, in, in Bombay, called The Ambassador. It was a revolving restaurant on the 43rd floor, uh, and it was overlooking the skyline. And she ate the, one of the most delicious um, crab curries when she was there. And my grandfather asked uh, the exec chef for the recipe, and he actually handed it over to my grandmother. Oh, my God. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of... Um, my grandmother's sort of taste was based on her palate. Uh, she didn't always cook uh, physically, but she was always in the kitchen and she always said, this is how I want this done. This is how I want that done. Um, and I suppose that's what rubbed off onto my mother. Um, okay. And then via, you know, genes and osmosis, it's kind of rubbed off to me. Um, I came to England, uh, God, 20 years ago, um, I was uh, meant to do a degree in business, which I did. And I finished my degree, started a corporate job in the city in London. And it just so happened that I used to cook, um, you know, on a Friday or a Saturday uh, evening. Uh, and some of my friends and colleagues would come from work to mine. Uh, mm. And they say we'd bring the drinks uh, and buy the food. <laughs> and it wasn't really that fancy food. And I don't think my cooking was really that great. But I suppose given that everyone was single, a lot of them actually didn't have like families around and we'd all kind of just like be hustling during the week. It yeah. seemed to make more sense. So that's how I started um, in food. And then they were like, oh, you should do it professionally. And I was like, you are kidding me. Nobody's going to hire me. And then um, <laughs> a friend or a friend who actually worked in, the, you know, in the, in, in the city as well said, oh, my my aunt lives, you know, in Essex and she'll hire you. And I was like, Yo, it's a joke. And she was like, no, no, she's looking for somebody to come and actually do a dinner party. And I was like, I don't, I don't have professional training. I've never done it. So then my friends nudged me. They were like, Mon, it's always the first time. So I did the first dinner. It was eight people. And I uh, took another friend of mine to actually help me uh, do the prep and get everything set mm. up. Um, I loved it so much uh, that I quit my job. Uh, my parents thought I was an idiot. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I am talking about 15, 16 years ago. So mm. even back then, I suppose food wasn't such a big deal. Yeah, as it, it was a different now. landscape. Then. Yeah, yeah, so definitely. I think my parents were like, we've sent her overseas to do a degree, to get, get an education, <laughs> and she's chucking it all in to cook. And understandably, Janine, I mean, you know, in India, uh, cooks were generally male. Uh, really? They, yeah, they were not uh, the, the the profession of a chef. A professional cook, yeah. It wasn't very similar, coveted. really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think most, you know, most household obviously had cooks, kitchens had cooks, but there wasn't such a glamorous job and it right. wasn't such a big deal. And it wasn't like it is today. It was very kind no. of, you know, behind the doors and... So I think they 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 were obviously you know concerned about that, um, and then yeah, I mean I just kept cooking as a private chef. I started my website, um, then I got into social media, which was probably one of the most fantastic things. Um, the website was actually kind of mentioned and given a you know very early on it was mentioned by the New York Times and the Daily wow. Mail, and um, yeah, I think I that that kind of stirred me in the right direction, I suppose. And I think uh, beyond that, I you know. I did my first book, Indian Kitchen, and mm. um, then I did the app. And uh, now I actually write for a magazine I have actually, uh, for the last 15 <laughs> years, been uh, reading. So, yeah, it's been a journey and a half, but it's, by God, it's, 
utterly worth every minute, every minute. I think it's nice that you you mentioned that the way you came through, um, you know, you started your website and you kind of did it. You kind of built your own audience from yeah. the ground up, really. And I think that's really reflected in the way that you write recipes because you're not like, you're not someone who's discovered as such. You've kind of like, you've built this through social media yeah. and you get a lot of feedback from people on your website. I've seen that as well. And I think that's kind of reflected in your recipes and the fact I that think... people love to make them and you, you're ready to, you're always on the bottom of the recipes. People are saying, can I do? And you're like, yeah, yeah, do that. <laughs> you can do that. You're the ultimate. Of course you can swap that in. It'll be fine. Or... Um, I think uh, any kind of profession and especially food now is a slow burner. And you, what you really want is you want to build that audience because trust for me is a huge deal mm. and I think uh, essentially like I want to be doing this in my you know when I'm 60 or 70 years old yeah. so a phenomenal work I think comes in time and I think yeah. you want to be able to build on the work you're doing and I think that only comes with time um, yeah. so you know whether you do uh, an app or a book or a site or you're writing for, for a magazine or a newspaper or any kind of cooking that you're doing, the way I cooked a lamb curry 10 years ago was very different to the way I cook it now. Okay. Um, so it takes time, I think. You know, I, my you... my chapatis when I was 16 years old was, were not around. Um, <laughs> Mine's uh, still around. <laughs> mine are exceptionally round now. So, um, yeah. Well, I think I told you I tried to make paratha and I ended up making crackers. <laughs> they were really dry. They were so dry. I think I subbed, I, I did a wrong, I I didn't have the right type of flour and I was trying to be clever and I was like, oh, I'll just, try, I'll just see. They tasted nice. What, what I thought we could do to introduce you to everyone is mm. um, I said to you, like, can you just tell me all your secrets? Like, <laughs> and then I was like, no, maybe not all of them because that might take us like at least two days, but maybe we'll just pick out a few things that could make you like a better cook when you're yeah. approaching kind of Indian cooking. So like your top kitchen secrets really yeah. um and this came out of a conversation um basically Randomly. i uh, yeah i'm constantly direct messaging you on instagram whenever i'm cooking <laughs> either one of your things or yeah. any any kind of indian cooking i'm always messaging you going does this look right mm. is this, did, what, what about this and you're so polite and you always always reply to me and I, no, i'm just I'm i reply to a, everyone I was such a pest. As many as I can. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we were talking about, the first thing we're going to talk about is cooking onions. Because mm. like you say, it's the holy grail, basically, isn't it? I think it is the holy grail of Indian cooking. I think there's various aspects that I suppose people need to bear in mind when they're cooking onions. Um, not every recipe needs onions. Um, some recipes that I find that need onions, like there's a lamb chop curry, which I've actually um, shared on the app. Now, I think if I'm not mistaken, the ingredients for that curry, it's a lamb chop curry. It literally is just onions, tamarind and chili oh. uh, and ginger. There's nothing else to it. <clears throat> but the viscosity of the gravy and the texture of the gravy actually come from the cooking of the onions. So there are onion uh, laden um, curries and recipes, which you actually have, which work exceptionally well and there are those that actually needed like the chetanad chicken stir fry that we did um mm. or for the june issue yeah now that actually the onions only cook for a very short length of time they yeah cook it's for short a very long time. so yeah. you know some recipes need them to be softened some net recipes need them to be quite kind of sweated out and some some needed to be extremely brown and caramelized I think the first thing to start when you're talking about cooking onions is you know a lot of people say is well how much oil do you need 
Um, I was attending a lecture ages ago uh, that Yota Motolenghi gave um, in uh, Abergavenny at the food festival. And somebody oh, said, yeah. oh, you use, you use a lot of oil when you're cooking yeah. your onion, onions. And then um, he just said, well, the only reason you're actually, um, you know, using a lot of oil essentially is because you want to be able to make sure the onions have enough space in the pan when they're actually swimming in it and actually frying in it. Okay. So I think <clears throat> quantity, the, the only thing I would say is quantity of oil versus quantity of onions is a very key and a very good uh, sort of way to start in terms of the ratio. Right. So on an average, if I'm cooking, a, a recipe serves four and it's like onion laden as a recipe. And, it, you know, it's the base of the of the curry is about the onions and the cooking of the onions. You'd need any, I, I think generally um, one medium onion is anywhere between 80 and 100 grams. Okay, so you'd yeah. need about four of those or six of those. So uh, technically you're looking at about 400 or 600 grams of onions, which in itself is a lot. Yeah. So for that matter, I would say, yeah, use you know, 50 mils of oil, use about yeah. 80 mils of oil, you need that kind of quantity. So say, for instance, you're using two onions just to kind of fry and you want them to go golden brown, then I would say definitely use at least three to four tablespoons of oil. Mm. Okay, for a start. That's the one thing you want to do. Um, secondly is for, you know, when people actually add the oil to the pan, the one thing I always say is check like, can you see the oil kind of shimmering a little bit? So when oh, you're, you're, your heat firstly needs to be on a medium, it shouldn't be on a low, it should always be on a medium, because I think the if it's too low, that will take way too long to cook. So keep it on a medium so that you can control it. So you can turn it slightly up and crank it up, or you can turn it slightly low. Yeah. But check if the oil is kind of shimmering. And if you feel like, oh, I can't tell if the oil is shimmering, the best thing to do is if you've sliced the onion or chopped the onion, take that one mm. ring of slice that you've got and yeah. put it in the oil. And if it, when you put it in the oil, if it starts to sizzle and dance, then you know, you it's know, right. you're on, you're onto a winner, really. So then, <laughs> then you actually add the onions, okay? And don't, the, that's what I find people, I, I know my partner does this because he's been doing a little bit of cooking as well uh, recently, but he tries to like throw them in the pan. Don't do that if you have a lot of oil because it'll just splutter everywhere. Yeah. So gently add them to the pan, okay? And then stir them nicely. And you want to make sure you're actually stirring well at the beginning, but the key is uh, how hot is the oil, and also when you add it, you want to hear that sizzle. So you want it, and you That's, want to keep the sizzle as well. You want to keep the sizzle as well. So you want yeah. it to keep sizzling and kind of doing its its bit. Um, <clears throat> now the other thing is um, how long to cook it for. So uh, you know, I I normally cook them for a very long time. So I say anyway, anywhere between about 25-30 minutes up to even 40 minutes if you're yeah. using a good long, you know, a quantity of onions. So 40 minutes is is pretty normal, I would say. I think most people don't think it's, you know, um, that uh, common to actually cook it for that long. But, uh, you know, if you're using just a couple of onions, then yeah, at least, you know, 18 to 20 minutes, I'd say, is a given. Um, yeah. And again, keep checking because I, I think, I, and I don't mean just mean this for my recipes. I think it's for any recipes or any curry recipes you're cooking. If it says um, light brown, golden brown, uh, yeah. cook it for eight to ten minutes, then no, that makes no sense <laughs> because it's you're not going to get there. You're yeah. not going to get there. So uh, use your use your judgment a little bit because when you're actually looking at medium brown or light brown, then you need at least to go twelve to fifteen minutes. Yeah. And if you're saying you know golden brown, then you know it's fifteen to seventeen or eighteen minutes. Just gauge it. Um, and then once you've actually you know you, you, uh, 
going back to the point where you're actually frying the onions and they're softening. So the first stage, it'll start to soften. The second stage, it'll start to go light brown. And then the third mm. stage, it'll go golden brown. And yeah. then you get to a point where it actually, between the golden brown, I suppose, and burning, it'll almost kind of caramelize. So yeah. if you get to golden brown and say, for instance, you're using it for a biryani, the one thing I do is I switch it off. Okay, I switch it off and I push the onions away from the oil and I keep the pan on a bit of a slant. Mm. Okay, so just put a, a weight at the bottom of the pan and keep it on a slant. So you're draining the oil at the bottom of the of yeah. frying pan and all the onions in the top. But the just remember that the pan is still hot. Yeah. So the onions will continue to crispen up in that pan. Oh, I see. Okay. But if you don't want to do that, the best thing to do is take them out from there and, you know, with a slotted spoon and then uh, drain them on kitchen paper. Yeah. And the heat will just kind of crispen them up ever so slightly. The oil yeah. will drain and it'll go on the napkin. And then basically you'll get these lovely, like caramelly crispy onions. Yeah. I think the other thing is like people seem to think, oh, you, you don't want that onion uh, flavor. But I think the more it keeps cooking... Yeah. Uh, the sweeter it gets, the more <clears throat> caramelly it gets, the more deeper and richer it gets. And I think, um, you know, you want that color in the onion because you want it to be able to render itself in the curry. Mm. Okay, because it just becomes this part of the sauce, basically. It, that's, it what, <clears throat> that's what I found. It, it like melds. It just almost disappears into the sauce once it, it's cooked for that it long. It does disappear. But like a lot of people say to me, how is the color of your gravy so like... Uh, gorgeous and goldeny and yeah. like um, I think you have tried I'm sure you've tried the recipe for the handi murg which is actually on the app yeah I have yeah, 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 yeah. so now for a handi murg handi is essentially a, a little vessel they would use traditionally in Punjab which is quite a big yeah. vessel and we don't have those cast iron vessels okay because the other property of a cast iron vessel is not just is it giving flavor to the onions and the spices that are cooking but it's also giving a lot of lovely like smoky and charred color oh, once actually yeah. cooking but yeah. we the, with not having those facilities of actually stocking up these sort of utensils i think the next best thing is to actually ensure you're cooking onions really really well and yeah. you know when you look at uh, an onion gravy yeah. So it, the, I suppose the premise is exactly the same thing. You're kind oh, you of mean like a caramelized, like that, like we would have with roast? Have, yeah, with the roast and onion. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same thing. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're essentially creating the base of that onion gravy, yeah, which yeah, you're yeah. using for, you know, a, a curry. Um, yeah. Because what it's essentially doing is lend, because once it's, once you start adding the rest, you're adding a ginger and your garlic, you're adding your spices, you're adding your tomatoes, you're adding yeah. your stock or your water, and then you've got a curry. Yeah. Okay. And then what happens is those onions are still there. Don't forget that is the first ingredient that you usually put in the pan. Okay. Anything, so they yeah. are bubbling and they're bubbling and they're simmering and they're simmering and they're simmering and they're cooking. And so basically from start to finish, I'd say at least you've given this recipe, whichever recipe you're doing, at least a couple of hours. And yeah. in those couple of hours, your onions have actually been kind of just bleeding and kind of letting their uh, flavor release through in, in the curry. So... What I'm trying to really get get at is not only are they actually lending that flavor, but they're also lending a color and yeah. they're lending a richness and they're lending depth. Yeah. Stick around for more chat from Monica, including some expert tips on thickening curries using alternatives to cream. Let's move on and talk about another thing that you're quite keen on, which mm. is the, um, the souring agents. Um, yeah. Because, again, it's... Um, oh, God, I mean... Indian cooking is, for me, it's like 
it's just, just this constant journey of finding out different, you know, the dry curries and the, the kind of, like you say, in the gravies and and all of the different ingredients going in. But a very important thing is, is when you bring the sour into it. So can you yeah. talk us through a few of the things that you would kind of use for that? I think um, generally when people say, oh, I like really hot curry. I think that's something that really zones me out a little bit because then I'm mm. like, well, you can't really get a balance of flavors. And I think yeah. the, um, the key to a good curry is that balance of flavors because you want hot, sweet, spicy, tangy, all of that at once. Like mm. when you actually have a mouthful of it, you would need to be able to think, oh my God, that was so yeah. good. I want to go back for seconds and thirds. <laughs> and now, essentially, that actually comes from various different elements that you actually add to any kind of a dish. So I'll start with a premise of something basic like street food. So if you are having pani puri or if you're having any kind of chaat or papri chaat or, you know, dahi varas or whatever, um, the spicy element comes from a chili chutney. Uh, the flavor essentially comes from a green chutney, which is usually a mint chutney or a coriander chutney. Mm. The tangy or the sour comes from the tamarind chutney. Okay, and the cooling bit and the refreshing bit tends to come from yogurt. Yeah. Okay, so all those elements together. And when, then, of course, you have the rest of it, which is your texture, which comes from the onions. If you put pickled onions and if you put, mm. you know, a bit of like a crispy save on it. So um, let's just talk about a samosa chart. Okay, just as an example. So you take a samosa, you mash it up, you um, stick a bit of like lashings of chilled yogurt on it. And then you're putting like chili chutney and, uh, and you know, mint chutney and tamarind chutney. So you're layering it all up, all the chutneys mm. together. And then you're adding some save to it. And then you're adding a little bit more of the chutneys on it. And then you're kind of breaking a piece of a samosa with all the chutney and the sauce and having a bite. Now, what I'm is so that doing? <laughs> but what is that doing me. to you? Yeah, but what is that doing to your senses? Think about yeah. it. Okay, so it's just yeah, yeah. So we're in a podcast, and we're trying to tell your listeners: listen, the textures, the flavors, the elements that you're actually thinking of is what you need to actually kind of wonder what Indian cooking is all about. So yeah, I'm getting the crunch from the samosa. I'm getting the softness from the mashed potatoes. I'm getting the you know um, hot. Um, chili garlic flavor I'm getting the mint which is refreshing the yogurt which is cooling and I'm getting the tang which is my tamarind yeah. now, without a tang or a sour flavor in any Indian cooking I think we would struggle massively now mm. I think the most common ones they're not really tangy I suppose in a way they, they you know you get a little bit of I suppose sour flavor or you know kind of a, a, a tart flavor would be if you use things like yogurt or tomato right okay as a classic base but I think between regions, um, it tends to vary about what they use and how they use it. Um, now, I come from the West of India, so that the most common ones actually used in the West of India is, of course, tamarind, um, yeah. much like a lot of places. So not um, as common in a lot of regions, but definitely in the South of India and West of India, they would use a lot of tamarind. Um, but the other thing they would use in the West of India, including in Goa and across the Western Ghat and the coastal belt is um, this thing called kokum. Kokum. Kokum is, uh, it's K-O-K-U-M. I think if you right. try and search it up online, hopefully you should find some shops actually, online shops that actually sell it here as well. And I have seen it, but I tend to buy mine from India when okay. I go there. But I think I'm going to have to start obviously buying it online now as well. Kokum <laughs> um, is uh, got a really astringent flavor. So it comes from the mongosteen plant and it is a fruit. Um, mm. And it is grown locally um, in across, you know, the, the, the Western region of India. And mm. um, then those petals are actually dried. 
Okay, so they go really dark and they do they go like a deep, rich purple color, Janine. Okay, and and once you actually add, honest to God, like if you actually use kokum, you'll be like, it's not no, nothing compared to any of the other souring agents, which I think a lot of people tend to say anyways. But I think once you add it to your fish curry, prawn curry, yeah, or any kind of a stir fry that you're cooking, I mean, it starts to render itself, not immediately. It starts to do it at the simmering process. So you have to maybe cook a fish curry, leave it there for an hour. And the right. kokum just kind of bleeds itself into the gravy, in the coconut gravy. Wow. And the combination of kokum, which is quite sour, astringent, and slightly refreshing and tangy, is, is very, very complementary to coconut. So you'll realize that a lot of coconut gravies in the mm. West part of India actually use kokum because... Generally, you tend to find the marriage of the two together. Kokum is also used um, to flavor drinks. So we have something called as kokum sar, which is sar meaning a drink. Um, yeah. So it's a very refreshing drink during summers. It's really, really, um, you know, you, you make a coconut drink or you can make a drink with just kokum and other spices like curry leaves and mustard seeds. Mm. And it's it's just absolutely delicious. I mean, going back to the other souring agents, I've obviously spoken about tamarind. It's tamarind. such a common thing but I think tamarind also I think gets a bit of a bad rap sometimes because I think you know when you follow a recipe that says two teaspoons of tamarind I think what tends to happen is people almost automatically assume that universally every tamarind paste should taste exactly the same Mm, okay not the case so the point is that you have to taste your tamarind paste okay Check in your instinctive intuition about what is the sourness of your paste and decide how much of that you need um, I remember doing a cookery class ages ago and somebody came to me and said, oh, I tried a recipe. I said, was it mine? They were like, no, no, not yours, somebody else's. And they said, oh, it had two <laughs> teaspoons of tamarind and my curry was completely dark. And um, I said, well, uh, uh, what tamarind paste did you use? And they were like, it was a supermarket tamarind paste and it had molasses in it. And I was Ooh. like, good God. Okay, so now, firstly, <laughs> it has molasses. Secondly, you're adding two tablespoons, uh, teaspoons when clearly somebody who's obviously tested recipes probably used a regular tamarind paste without any kind of uh, preservatives, additives in it. So yeah, the thing to tell people is taste your tamarind paste, see how tart or tangy it is. If your tamarind paste is extremely weak, then you Mm. probably need a lot more than the recipe would say. If your tamarind paste is just the right amount, then you need just the right amount. If your tamarind paste is very strong and it's a concentrate or it's a thick paste, then uh, you'll need slightly less. So, so it's it's basically like using your own judgment as well with something is. like that. Why you're adding lemon juice to something and it says season it. You, you're not going to just throw it in there. You're just going to keep adding it until you get to. Yeah, but at least with like lemon juice, we say we know the quantities. Like if you say half yeah, a lemon you juice, know what it it's won't. Pretty, yeah, yeah it, it's not going to taste like really sour for one person mm-hmm. versus really like mild for another. Uh, with tamarind, I think the one thing I've realized, and I have bought supermarket tamarind and I have bought Asian store tam- tamarind and they are very different. different. Yeah. Um, even that, that's, two that's supermarkets, really... I mean, selling yeah. their own shop brand tamarind can be so different, so different. quality and, and, you know, even the the consistency is is beyond me. But that's one thing. I mean, the other thing is things like amchur powder um, yeah. and anar I've seen dana. that a lot. Am- amchur yeah. is the... Amchur is mango powder. Yeah. So it's um, basically you get an unripe mango in India. So it's a green mango. Okay. And that the the flesh of that mango is actually um, dried in the sun. Right. And then that uh, becomes almost crispy and then they grind it. And that's your unripe Amchur mango powder. 
Now, mango powder is used for various different things. You can use mango powder for um, chaat. So in street food, it's very, very mm-hmm. common. You use mango powder in um, even in drinks. Um, there's a chaat masala, which is a blend of spices. Um, so mango powder is a, is oh, a yeah. is 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 a part of that uh, mix as well when you actually use that. But the other thing is um, sometimes you need to remember, like say for instance, I do this. So when I'm actually making parathas, let's go back to what you were cooking, <laughs> my crisp um, breads. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, but I when I make them, I, for instance, if I make them make stuffed paratha, so if I'm making a aloo paratha, which which is stuffed with potato. <sighs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you take your dough and you put your stuffing of your potato. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. when you're making your potato stuffing, the one thing I always do is I try and minimize the amount of liquid I'm actually adding mm-hmm. to the potato mix. So instead of actually adding lemon juice, yeah. I would use amjur. Right. That okay. Makes sense. Now, yeah. the only reason I'm doing that is because lemon juice will make it far too um, liquidy, not liquidy, but like sticky. And when it's stuffed in my um, bread and I'm rolling it out, it might be too kind of, you mm. know, too much of a mess. So the more powders you add, the more dry you're making your potato stuffing, essentially. Yeah. So those, I suppose, are the tricks and the trades of trying to ensure that you actually get the right kind of stuffing for your stuffing, uh, yeah. parathas. Uh, but the other one is um, anardana, which is pomegranate. It's actually one of my favorites. Um, so pomegranate is a very common uh, ingredient used in Indian cooking, period. Yeah. I think most people don't actually even understand. I, when I say that, people are like, what, really? How? Um, so powder is one form uh, of oh, using okay. pomegranate. Uh, fresh pomegranate is, of course, with the influences of Persia in Indian cooking, it's very prevalent using fresh mm. pomegranate. Pomegranate juice is a very prevalent part of curries. Pomegranate, yes, and pomegranate molasses is a very yeah. prevalent part of um, curries. And uh, even I have a recipe for uh, pomegranate molasses chicken tikka with wow. chili and garlic. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, the various regions will have their own version. The only other one I want to mention is vinegar. Now, right. um, of course, there's various number of vinegars that you get uh, here. White wine and uh, red wine and balsamic and all that. It's mm. all very fancy. But I think in India, uh, there, there's a few which I think are quite sort of synonymous with some regions. So you'll get, uh, you know, your coconut vinegar, which is very synonymous uh, with the region of Goa. Okay. And it's it's absolutely delicious. The one in Goa is actually made uh, uh, using toddy, which is like their local alcohol, which is fermented. Oh, wow. um, but the, the the best thing, if you can get hold of coconut vinegar, which you already have, is to try and make a pork vindaloo with, with coconut vinegar. I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Sold. <laughs> I mean, the flavor is just phenomenal so wow. i think you know from your kokum to your tamarind to your vinegar to your amchur to your anardana um there's plenty uh there's more that i haven't mentioned but we could talk all day about it but the point i'm trying to make is that you kind of feel like there's so many different souring agents you just have yeah. to find the right balance of which one works for you and which one doesn't i think also which one's readily available and which one is not if you yeah. want to experiment yeah try and get hold of kokum and try and yeah. get hold of coconut vinegar and try and get hold of anarzana pomegranate powder and try and get hold of amchur if you just want to stick to the, the you know the same one tried and tested then yes try yeah. and get hold of tamarind but also the only thing i would say is try and check the just strength try of the tam- yeah yeah definitely i mean that's a really good tip because i know i've got some in my fridge and 
I've had that before where it's it's the flavor is so different you know is it's completely it? different yeah D- just between different brands and everything but um yeah maybe we can in future columns we can kind of explore you know once in a while we can explore like a particular ingredient, ingredient. and and give people really good resources to go and yeah. get it because now like online Everything you know online deliveries have, have changed so much so and you much. don't get char- you don't get charged a fortune to get them anymore Absolutely. so like so there's no reason why we can't be like experimenting a little bit more. So let's let's definitely do that. Mm. Okay, so let's move on to your next um thing that we you wanted to talk about, which was how which was thickening, because I think sometimes, you know, Indian cooking can get a bad rap for using cream, too much cream or too much, yeah. you know, butter or whatever to thicken. But actually it's not always that that we that we mm. take, you know. So talk us I through think, that a bit. I mean, uh, you know, I do. I, I, it's at least once a month, Janina, I always get a question where people are like, is Indian food, you know, healthy for you? Well, I mean, of course it is. So, uh, <laughs> it's the best. It's the only <laughs> thing you should be eating <laughs> in my house. <laughs> so go go figure, right? I mean, yeah. despite actually doing this for 15 years, it's a question that I'm still getting asked. So yeah. as far as I'm concerned, you know, you're, you're either not cleverly using you know the ideas that are there or the you know the diversity that Mm. is there in Indian cooking uh, or you just haven't explored as much and I think yeah you know when people talk about something basic and simple like a korma yeah okay so making a korma you don't have to use cream like let's just do away with the heavy cream the double cream uh, the single cream do away with it all together you don't have to have it um uh, un- unless and of course you are making my butter chicken you are not allowed to use cream let's just put it that way <laughs> um, but I think the whole idea of actually um, kind of talking about thickening agents personally is that you can kind of open this whole gamut uh, you know like a Pandora's box of various yeah. different things that are available and I think one is of course the tried and tested kashuna mm-hmm. paste okay yeah. so um, kashuna is readily available Um Someone ages ago asked me, can you actually swap cashew nut paste for cashew butter? And oh. the answer is no. No, uh, it's too oily, isn't it? It's too oily. And also um, some of the cashew butter you get, the nuts are actually roasted. And that is not the flavor you mm. need. Um, I'm talking about a creamy consistency. So yeah. what I would do as a base for a korma, for instance, is... Um, I would generally just, um, you know, soak my cashew nuts so um, in warm water. Um, for a, And I normally would do it for about, uh, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. Um, yeah. And you want to make sure the water is nicely either, you know, just boiled or warm. Yeah. Um, and then once the cashew nuts are soaking, use some of the soaking liquid, you know, depending on what the recipe says, but some of the soaking liquid along with the cashew nuts and blitz it to a paste. Yeah. These are where this, this, your power blender comes in quite handy, isn't absolutely. it? That people have all got now. Get your Nutribullet out. Yeah, this get is going to work. Really. <laughs> um, you do You want what you're looking for, and I think you're right. You need a good power blender for this because what you really want is that smooth creaminess mm. that comes from the cashew nuts. Um, which I mean, that paste once you've made it is perfect. You yeah. can freeze it if um, anybody wants to know. So you can freeze it. Um, and use it in batches and just use it in a gravy when you need it. Um, yeah. But when you're when you're finished frying everything and you've added your chicken and all of that, then you add your cashew nut paste and then you're simmering only for about five or 10 minutes. Mm. Um, so that is the element of where the, the thickness or the richness of the gravy really comes in. Um, mm. 
And I think especially when you're blitzing or blending, if you have any grainy pieces of your kishuna, that's a complete no-no. So what you really want to do is you want to make sure it's, you know, kind of blended down really, really well. Mm. Because that graininess, if you add that to the curry, then it kind of comes in your mouth and it doesn't blend in easily in yeah, the gravy yeah, yeah. itself. But I mean, kashuna aside, Greek yogurt, one of the most popular common it's amazing. things. Uh, the one thing I always get asked with yogurt is, how do you stop it from splitting? And splitting, I think, yeah, I was going to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> you just add it uh, a bit at a time, don't you? And your recipes, it always says, add it kind of a one tablespoon at a time. But I think uh, a couple of things which I think people need to bear in mind when they're doing something like that is when they're using yogurt, firstly, you make sure you remove it and keep it at room temperature okay. for a start. Secondly, you make sure you whisk it really well so there's no lumps. So, the you know, the thing is, if, you, if you've not whisked it well, there's inconsistencies in the yogurt. Right. Then there are chances when it's actually on the heat, it's going to split. Right. Okay. Uh, because some, some, some parts are lumpy and some parts are really smooth and you don't want that. Um, the third thing is, just like you said, spot on, Janine, very well done, <laughs> is you add a little at a time. Um, yeah. So you add a tablespoon, you stir, you add another tablespoon, you stir. The one thing my mother has always done is, um, I don't really tend to do it because I, I feel like I'm gone past that stage. But yeah, if I was obviously like still beginning and unsure of it, this is yeah. a good tip, is um, when you whisk your yogurt in the bowl, you you take the yogurt near the sauce that you've actually made or the gravy that you mm. made. Take a tablespoon of the sauce and add that to the yogurt. Okay. So what you're essentially doing is you're adding something hot to cold and whisk that really well. So you're kind of trying to bring the temperatures slightly the same. aligned. Yeah. And then you add that whole mix to the curry. curry. And then you keep stirring. That is a okay. good tip. That's yeah. a good tip. But if in doubt, take the pan off the heat and add your yogurt, stir it and put it back on the heat. And then just do it when you're stirring and you've added the yogurt, do it on a really, really low temperature so it doesn't yeah. split. It's still going to taste good though, isn't it? Even if it does split. <laughs> I, would, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've split stuff before and I'm like, it still tastes great. You know, it's fine. <laughs> uh, well, th then of course, I have never split it, so I don't know. But yeah, no, you know, you see, Oh, uh, come on. <laughs> they, can, they can take your word for it. But the other one is coconut milk, the most common one. Oh, yeah, so lovely. The, you know, cashew, yogurt, coconut. Coconut great, milk, yeah. Yeah, great thickening agents. Uh, also, uh, the other thing, I mean, I, we, we were going to come to this a little later, but coconut milk, please don't go using a whole can of it if you don't need to. You know, like <laughs> some people just chuck a 400 milk, uh, milk mm. can in, in, in the you know, saucepan. And yes, it's coconutty, but does it really need to be? elements yeah. of Indian cooking but um, if you don't have coconut milk and you can't if the recipe advises to use half a can you do you, sometimes in supermarkets you do get smaller cans nowadays yeah you um, get the little so maybe, 165 yeah, yeah yeah, or coconut cream or the other one um, which I really do always stock up on it's coconut powder oh really yeah so um, there's uh, I think is Nestle or another brand or something it does a coconut powder Okay. And sometimes you do realize frustratingly that there's only a 400 mil can of uh, can that you have in the house, which mm. I always do. But then my recipe only calls for 150 mils of coconut milk. So then you based on the instructions in the box, I normally take about two tablespoons of the powder, add a really, really uh, boiling hot water to it, make a little mix, stir mm -hmm. it, make sure there's no lumps and you've got your 200 and 
200 150 mils that's a of great coconut. like store cupboard thing isn't it it's a store yes. cupboard ingredient which i think is really really important that people stock mm. up on you know because you don't have to use that much of it and it's pretty frugal to actually like you can make coconut cream with it and you can make coconut milk with it depending so, on how much liquid you depending on how much powder you've add, yeah depending on how yeah. much liquid you have so if you've added one tablespoon and maybe just 50 mils water then you're getting a mm. good thick cream but the other two I really love, um, one is gram flour. Um, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's a secret ingredient in a lot of my recipes. Um, so if anybody's ever cooked my kheema pao um, <clears throat> or any kind of mince lamb, uh, yeah. you add a little bit of coconut milk or you add gram flour. To make this sort of thick, is kheema, make, kheema pao is the, the lamb like sloppy mince joe. In, in a bun, isn't it? In a bun, in a yeah. Buttered. In a bun, buttered, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's super <laughs> with delicious. It's it's anything so with butter. Good. And uh, I know Janine and myself are totally on board. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, gram flour is really good because it's, it, it, and also like um, there's a recipe for curry, which is a plain yogurt curry um, mm. and different regions have various different ways of making it. Um, the Rajasthani curry or you have a Maharashtrian curry. And mm. um, generally with a curry, when you, it's, it's yogurt based. But yeah. the best way to actually avoid the yogurt from splitting is to add, add gram flour. Oh, it's just to, just to bind it slightly. Because gram flour, Not to people bind don't it, know. Two, no. you, what you, two, two elements a gram flour in a curry does is one is it, it ensures that it doesn't split. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is when you, you, you make the yogurt mix with the gram flour, add a pinch mm. of turmeric and water and you make a little soupy base. Nice. And when you put it on the hob, the... The gram flour has a tendency when it's actually on uh, on a hob uh, in a saucepan, it tends to start to thicken yeah. as as it cooks. So you want to ensure that when you're stirring regularly, you make sure it doesn't stick to the base of the pan and you're kind of, yeah. So it's, uh, the, uh, the curry itself thickens really, really well. Yeah. So gram flour is a very good one. Chickpea it's flour, a, essentially. Yeah, I was going to say, because people who are worried that, oh, what flour is going to be a bit claggy, it's actually ground dried chickpea. So it's got Chickpeas. completely different properties to like yeah. no it's not and it, it's got a flavor all of its own anyway yeah, so it brings all of its own properties absolutely. to that i mean uh, sometimes you i even use gram flour uh, or chickpea flour to make um, pancakes on a weekend yeah uh, it's called um, besan ka chila so basically you just add your chickpea flour you add chili powder turmeric powder uh, lots of chopped mm-hmm. coriander and maybe some fresh green chilies add some water make a little batter uh, and make pancakes you can eat that with you know pickle or yogurt uh, it's a great brunch idea sometimes I just break an egg on it and it's uh, perfect for the family <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of the stuff that you're talking about for, while you were talking about cashew cream paste I was like oh yeah that's been adopted by vegans yeah you know for thickening and for Chick doing peas. various things with and then um the um coconut milk the chick the chickpea flour uh, and yeah. the gram flowers I, I've made them and I think is it is it present you know so- soca pancakes which are obviously they're gluten-free because yeah. chickpea flour doesn't have so like as a health thing I've, I've seen them so it's interesting how i love the way that things just go through different cuisines and different yeah. diets and stuff and they've, become trendy yeah. when actually they've you know been you've been cooking the fuck they've been there for years and years and yeah, generations yeah. haven't they and i think um you know sometimes you realize that even if they've they've been been there all along it just comes back mm. in fashion you know, the use of yeah. uh, gram flour, coconut milk, and even, you know, all all of these cashew nut paste or any kind of nut paste. It's all vegan, but 
I suppose that goes back to the whole question that Indian food is inherently vegan. Yeah. Friendly, you know. So um, it's not hard to actually kind of adhere to a diet where you know you will have other alternatives and options. Mm. And have Um, so much different textures and flavors. And I mean, you know, um, I'm going to wrap it up there because we've been talking for ages. But and the reason I'm going to wrap it up there is because we've still got loads to talk about. So let's please come back on again and we can explore further. But um, so Monica's recipes are appearing in Olive magazine every month. I think the next issue is out on the shelf. So this month it's July and we've got the biryani. Is that right? You've got Kabuli biryani. It's a Hyderabadi dish. Yeah, which is beautiful. Um, When it's got um, lovely um, chana dal cooked like it's, it's got chana dal, bloody... it's got rice, it's layered with uh, caramelized onions, fresh yeah. mint. Gorgeous, gorgeous recipe. It's and uh, yeah, we've made it cleverly quite, uh, cleverly, Janine's idea of making it vegan, which is yeah. worked brilliantly. <laughs> but um, you made it beautiful. And then in August, we've got the lal mas, which we mm-hmm. talked about, which is this incredible is Rajasthani um, rich lamb, lamb curry. curry. Um, so that'll be coming up as well. Um, and then if people want to find you online, your website is... Is monicagowarden.co.uk or yeah. you can actually check out uh, Twitter or Instagram. So it's Cook in a Curry. Cook in a Curry. Uh, and you've got your, your app as well. Your An app. It's um, Monica's Indian <laughs> Recipes. So yeah, loads of Which places is, to find lots of recipes. Yeah, um, yeah. Or just but, yeah. even just chat about food, really, because that's all yeah. we need to see to do. <laughs> yeah, but don't yeah, don't pester her too much on um, Instagram because you've got to leave some space for me. <laughs> But like, thank you so much for coming to chat to us today, Monica. Thank it was you. an absolute pleasure and really lovely to see your face as well. Good and to I'll, see you too. I'll see you soon for those free samosas. <laughs> Bye. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you want to explore more of our back catalogue of over 200 episodes, you'll find us on all the main platforms and on our website, olivemagazine.com, where you'll also find tons of useful recipes and some great cooking advice. Also, why not try a subscription to Olive Magazine this summer? and get the very best recipes to help inspire your cooking. Take advantage of our current subscription offer. That's three issues for only £5. Just go to buysubscriptions.com forward slash allpod720. That's O-L-P-O-D 720. Terms and conditions apply. Stay safe and we'll see you next week when we'll have a brand new episode to listen to.